0: Mm, mm, mm. Visit carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient, comfortable. Ah.
1: Welcome to the Saixin Sinica Business Brief, brought to you by Sub China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Saixin. China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. While the current global pandemic might be limiting people's travel plans, nothing is stopping us from bringing you a set of business stories from China covering the world. We will take you to America for the latest twists and turns in the TikTok drama. We will metaphorically fly to France, where they are ripping out Huawei 5G products And we will travel to South America, where phone company Xiaomi is making serious inroads. With all the top news that you can listen to without a passport, here's what's been happening in China and Chinese business across the world this week. And we start at home in China. China's rare earth exports hit a five-year low, plunging 69.1% year-over-year, to 1,620 tons in July, customs data showed, marking the lowest monthly volume since January 2015, as the coronavirus pandemic has heavily hit demand for the minerals. In the first seven months of the year, China's rare earth exports were down 20.2% year-on-year, compared to a much milder 7.6% decline in the same period last year, customs data showed. Rare earths are a collection of chemical elements crucial to many cutting-edge products, including phone components, electric vehicle batteries, and military equipment. China provides the majority of rare earths in the world, and their demand is seen as an important indicator of economic activity in key tech manufacturing areas. French telecom operator Bouygues Telecom will dismantle 3,000 Huawei-made mobile antennas in France's highly populated areas, by 2028. The news is the latest blow to the besieged Chinese tech giant, which is the target of countries labeling its 5G equipment as a potential national security threat. Buick's deputy CEO Olivier Roussat confirmed the plan during a conference call without detailing which company's equipment it will use to replace Huawei's, according to a report by Reuters. In July, Guillaume Pupard head of the French cybersecurity agency ANSSI, said government permits with durations from three to eight years would be granted to French carriers that were already using Huawei's 5G equipment but discouraged those that were not already using Huawei's gear from switching to the Chinese company. A survey by the American Chamber of Commerce in China of its members has revealed that three and a half weeks before it is set to come into effect, U.S. businesses still have no idea whether President Donald Trump's looming WeChat ban will apply to their China operations. The survey published by the Chamber last week showed U.S. firms operating in China are concerned they will be hit by the vaguely worded executive order, EO, particularly if it applies extraterritorially. Announced early in August, the EO will ban as-yet-unspecified transactions with WeChat, and its parent company, Tencent, by, quote, any person or with respect to any property subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, unquote. It is due to come into effect on September 20th. Chinese smartphone maker Xiaomi released its latest quarterly financial report last week, revealing stronger-than-expected earnings. During the three months through June, Xiaomi more than doubled its net profit to 4.49 billion yuan, or $716 million, beating the highest analyst estimate in a Bloomberg survey. Revenues rose by 3.15% to 53.5 billion yuan for the same period. Of particular note was its impressive growth in some of its newer markets, including Europe and Latin America. In Europe, it shot to third place among phone manufacturers for the first time in the quarter after shipments grew 64.9 percent. BlackRock Financial Management received approval from the China Securities Regulatory Commission to set up a wholly-owned mutual fund management company in the country, according to Bloomberg. BlackRock is the first foreign business to receive the approval in China – The new company is based in Shanghai and has registered capital of 300 million yuan, or approximately $43.7 million, according to a statement on the Chinese regulator's website. Its business scope includes mutual fund management, fund sales, and handling private assets. The suicide of a young Shenzhen shopkeeper after he was suspended from using Tencent's ubiquitous WeChat app has raised questions about the Internet giant's vast power over the lives and livelihoods of its 1 billion-plus users. The man, in his early 20s, fell from the company's customer service center building apparently after several attempts to have the suspension reversed. Police told Caixin they concluded that the case was a suicide. The man's death has prompted widespread discussions of the lack of independent oversight of account suspensions on WeChat, which can upend the lives of those affected, given the way it intertwines their personal, professional, and financial worlds. And finally, it is impossible to cover China business and not speak about everyone's favorite short video app, TikTok. Former Disney executive Kevin Meyer has resigned as chief executive of TikTok less than three months after taking on the top position at the embattled video sharing app that has come under assault from the administration of U.S. President Donald Trump. In a letter to TikTok employees, Mayer wrote, quote, In recent weeks, as the political environment has sharply changed, I have done significant reflection on what the corporate structural changes will require and what it means for the global role I signed up for. Against this backdrop, and as we expect to reach a resolution very soon, it is with a heavy heart that I wanted to let you all know that I have decided to leave the company. Several bidders have now emerged for TikTok's U.S. operations, including Microsoft, Twitter, Oracle, and Walmart. The most recent prospective buyer is asset manager Centricus, who has teamed up with the video app Triller. Let's turn now to Flynn Murphy, who heads up company news for Caixin Global and specializes in healthcare and medical news reporting. Flynn, welcome, and uh, tell us about this very interesting and potentially disturbing case reported in Hong Kong of the reinfection of a patient who had previously
0: already had COVID-19. What's going on there? Thanks, Kaiser. So last Tuesday, a team from the University of Hong Kong published the first confirmed account of a person being infected twice with the virus. There were already plenty of claims about people getting coronavirus twice, but they've mostly been put down to testing problems. No test is 100% accurate, especially not during a medical emergency where people are rushing to treat a frightening new disease. Maybe someone tests negative even though they still have the virus and then tests positive again later. Where you actually take the swab can be an issue and so on. But this study is different because the Hong Kong team provided genetic evidence to back up their claim. They sequenced the positive swabs taken from a 33-year-old man who was twice diagnosed with coronavirus, first in March and then in mid-August, after he returned to Hong Kong from Spain via the UK. They found the virus samples were genetically different. And that, combined with the time between bouts and some other clinical evidence, led them to conclude that they were in fact two distinct infections. So in terms of being a good study, it ticks all the boxes. Prestigious institution, reputable scientists, including Yuen Kwok Yong, who's been helping coordinate Hong Kong's response to COVID, peer-reviewed journal article. But like pretty much all coronavirus research, it's only one piece of the puzzle, and it does raise more interesting questions.
1: Thanks, Flynn. And any thoughts on what impact these findings might have?
0: So what I was basically getting from virus experts was this is an important finding, but it's not necessarily surprising given what we know about the immune system. For one, what this study can't tell us, because it's a single individual, is how rare reinfection infection is. You've got 25 million people who've been infected that we know of. There's evidence from blood screening that many, many more people may have been infected at one point or another. So the number is probably far higher because people don't get tested or they don't get symptoms or they just don't notice that they're sick. That doesn't make the virus any less dangerous. There's good evidence people with mild cases can spread it. But with numbers like that, you'd expect some freaky variation. People getting weird symptoms, cases that last for a long time, and perhaps people getting reinfected. But again, that doesn't mean it's not important. For a start, it should give pause to anybody who still thinks letting the virus rip through communities until people build up natural herd immunity is any way to combat this. In terms of what we still need to know, the Hong Kong man had a very mild case the second time around. But is that because he was young and healthy? He also had a relatively mild case the first time around. So if he was sicker in March, would he have had a longer lasting immune response that protected him more in August? There's also the significance of the second case. The fact it was very mild reflects how the immune system is supposed to work. Because immunity to a virus generally doesn't mean you won't get reinfected, it means your body is primed to recognise it and deal with it quickly if it shows up again. The Hong Kong researchers said their findings suggest coronavirus could behave like the common cold, in the sense people will keep getting reinfected and get milder infections. But other experts said a lot more evidence was needed. Most researchers said this information will be useful in designing vaccines, but it doesn't mean at all that vaccines won't work. The bottom line is that prevention, lockdowns, all the things that annoy us are needed until effective vaccines are available and widely distributed.
1: Right. Speaking of which, you've also reported on how China has been giving an experimental vaccine to at-risk workers outside of actual phase three clinical trials uh, over the last
0: month. Can you tell us more about that? So last week, we reported that Chinese health officials have been inoculating medical workers and other at-risk groups against COVID-19 for more than a month as part of an emergency access program. That's outside of clinical trials for Chinese vaccines that are already going on. The head of China's coronavirus vaccine task force made the announcement on state media, so they weren't hiding it, but it did raise questions about informed consent and the monitoring of potential side effects. He talked about expanding the program to everyone from people who work at produce markets to transport and restaurant workers ahead of the winter flu season. This is an issue we're seeing in a lot of places, a tension between quickly rolling out potentially life-saving medicines and the need to ensure they're safe and that they work. You can read the full story on our website.
1: Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, Flynn, and I look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Thanks, Kaiser. Thank you. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and to Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Be sure to check out the other shows in the Seneca Network on Sup China. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for our daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.